you turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, we'll pick up in verse 12. And very often when I use the word hate, you know, people almost instantaneously, uh, from a Christian perspective, and actually rightly so, think of the word hate and say, well, we're not supposed to hate. Well, in the sense that the world uses the word hate, that would be true. But your Bible repeatedly reminds us that we as the church actually are supposed to hate. We're supposed to have real hate. We're supposed to have the right kind of hate. And that would be the hate for the things that God himself hates. And notice I said things, not people. It's not people. It is the system that the enemy uses to control this world. And so John now is going to speak to this issue of having real hate for the things that God hates. Because the truth is, we as the body of Christ cannot love this world. Because everything that's in this world is ultimately passing away. And so, as John embarks on these next couple of verses, we'll pick up in verse 12 and down to verse 17. Part of real love is really having a disdain for the things that keep people from knowing Jesus and keep Christians from walking victoriously with Jesus and keep the gospel from going forward, those things in the context of this passage are collectively called the world, the cosmos. And so would you join me? We'll pray. We'll pick up in verse 12. And a very important instruction to the church. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the power of your word to speak into our lives. And Lord, we, many of us, would have to confess there are areas of life where we probably like the world a little too much. And Lord, we ask that you'd help us to see those areas of our living, of our lives. And Lord, change that we would have no love for this world. We would indeed hate the things that you hate, the things that destroy, diminish, disease, this world and all who are in it. And so, God, we give you this time. Speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 12, and you're going to notice multiple times here the word because. It's an indicator of the causality, the the thing that you should be focusing on as a group is mentioned. And it says, I write to you, little children, in verse 12, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And he's not talking about little children as in children, children. He's talking about little children in the faith. It actually says born ones. And to that end, every person in this room who has received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior is a born one. You're a born-again believer. You're a person who has believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying because you're a Christian, because your sins have been forgiven you, he says, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. He's saying, look, you, you who are older in the faith, God's word is true, every bit of it. What we know about the Lord He said in the beginning, and he's given us instruction to get all the way through this life and live it victoriously. He says, I I, I write to you now, young ones or young men, 
Because you have overcome the wicked one. You see, that, that vigor that we have in that youthful zeal is so wonderful that it gives us that power. I'm so grateful for the things that God is doing in our church through the young ones. I'm grateful for the senior saints. And I'm very grateful that we're all going to heaven by grace and through faith. Amen? So he's saying, look, church, listen up. Hear this well. And in case we didn't get it the first time, he repeats it. Same three groups. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. To know the Son is to know the Father. Amen? I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. He's saying, look, you guys are the, the stability of the church. You're the ones who don't get moved as easy. You ever noticed how you're a little more emotional when you're young, impressionable? You kind of do a little bit of up and down. I write to you, young men, because you're strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you've overcome the wicked one. And so in a very broad brush way, he he paints a picture of the church. Places that we can all identify with in our journey with the Lord. A new believer, a zealous young person in the Lord, and senior saints. He's saying, I'm writing to you because of what you've received by grace and through faith. I'm writing to you because this is who you are as a child of God. I'm writing to you because there's a reason to write to you. Because you are very different than the world that we live in. Jesus reminded us himself in John chapter 17 that we are not of this world. Amen? We're not. This world is no longer my home. This world is where I live. This world is where I breathe. This may be where I bleed as well. Some of you are probably bleeding right now. But this world is no longer your home. Your home is heaven. Paul actually went so far as to say your citizenship is heaven. You have a heavenly passport now. It's stamped by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is worthy. He will be the one that unlooses the scroll. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And so he writes to us, and now three verses that if you do not have them highlighted, circled, underlined, annotated, marked up. If you're one of those people who's pushing and swiping, there's a highlight tool on your phone. What does he say to these three groups of people? Do not love the world. Or the things in the world. Don't love the world or the things in it. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And while it's not specifically referencing your salvation experience, it is saying that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot love the world and love God simultaneously. 
You can only love one of them. And if you love the world, then even if it be only momentary, you are not loving God while you're loving the world. It can't be done. There can only be one object of your affection at a time. The less than victorious Christian tries to live with one foot in the world and one foot with the Lord. And it is not only an impossible balancing act, it is one that is fraught with failure. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. These things, these things that in Genesis chapter 3 captivated Eve, these three very specific P's, which we'll get to in a moment, those things which are your earthly passions, your earthly possessions, and your earthly position, those three things are not of the Lord. They're passions that come from within you as a human being. And unless you deal with them, unless you understand the attraction that your flesh still has, then you are going to be tempted to live for and unto this world. And he's saying that's a recipe for spiritual disaster. You see, when he uses the word world here, he now puts it into context. For the world is passing away, and the lust of it. The innate desire that humankind has for the things of this world will one day pass away when we go home to be with Jesus. Amen? You're not going to be going, oh man, I just wish I had another burger. You know, if I could only have more money in my checking account, if I just had a bigger car or a bigger house, if I was just more popular, if I was just more powerful, if I just had more relationships with human beings, man, I'd really have it. No, when you get to heaven, you're not going to miss this earth. It's passing away. And even the thinking about it with desire. That's what the word lust means. But he who does the will of God abides forever. You see this passage, when you first look at it, it's like, well, well, aren't we supposed to be tree huggers? You know, everybody knows that Shamu and you are the same, right? Right? He's not talking about you loving nature. Not talking about you caring for the creation. Actually, we are supposed to be good stewards of the earth. And mankind has not been good stewards of the earth. Not talking about you not enjoying a sunset. Not at all speaking that you should not like other men, humankind. He's saying there is a world that exists that is governed by a group 
that was cast down with Satan when he fell. One third of the angels of heaven fell with Satan. And guess where they landed? Right here. And when they did, they set up a government. It is called the kingdom of the darkness of this age. It is governed by Satan. He is their ruler. And as their ruler, he has assigned tasks to those angels, those fallen ones. And they are to try and get you to fall in love with this earth and everything on it. And so if you can be distracted away from the things of God, away from his love and away from his will, you will begin to love here so much you won't care about there. Can I tell you that that plan has been very successful? That to this day, people are drawn away by these three things. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and that passion for possessions. Those things which we look at called the flesh. The things that we gaze upon and we go, man, I'd love to have that. But this ordered system that's against God. Can I tell you who is responsible for generational poverty? The world system. The enemy. Can I tell you who's responsible for racism? The world's system. The enemy. God didn't invent that. God hates it. God hates it when people are taken advantage of. For whatever reason. Can I tell you who invented monetary inequity? The enemy, the world system. Can I tell you who invented promiscuity? The enemy, the world system. Can I tell you who invented materialism? The enemy, the world system. Because although these things are attractive to your flesh, they cannot satisfy you. It doesn't matter how many big homes you have. You'll never have enough homes. Because that innate desire comes from within you. Doesn't matter how much money you have. You'll never have enough. Some of the most unhappy people on the planet Earth happen to also be the wealthiest. You know why? Because money won't do it. People who have switched spouses so many times, they don't even remember the name of the first one. (laughs) Didn't find any satisfaction in the third, fourth, fifth, or sixth one. Because there is no satiating your flesh with more flesh. It only feeds the flesh. And all it does is drive you to want more of what you already have, and you can't get enough of it. There is a system driving that. It's called the cosmos, the world. And everything in it, not the people, but the system, Satan and his minions, designed to seduce you at every single turn. And while you think on this, we need to hate the world for a lot of different reasons. The first of which is because of what the world truly is. You see, the world isn't just this place of natural beauty and wonder. 
the world isn't just a whole bunch of really kind people who are kind of misunderstood. The world is an ordered system that is adamantly opposed to God. And if you don't believe that, all you need to do is study what the world actually is and does. More than 80% of the world's population goes to, world hung- goes to bed every night hungry. Most do not have the health care that we have in this country. We are a scant 350 million people total. There are five times that many people in India alone. And most of them go to bed hungry and without any medical care. There are 198 countries on this earth. There is an active engagement in war somewhere by 137 of them currently. Whether they're in a group with others fighting some war on a foreign soil as we are currently. Crime rates that take advantage. Why do you suppose young people of color are shot in their front yards? Because the enemy is stimulating all of that tension and hatred. Stirring up anger and angst and then combining it with poverty that has lasted for generations. And so what happens is it's got to be somebody's fault. And all of a sudden an innocent one dies. People living in fear of other people. Brothers and sisters, that is the world system. Behind all of these things is not your fellow sojourner on the earth a human being. It's the wicked one and his minions. That's who's stimulating it. And we as the church need to know this. Otherwise, we fall into the same traps as everyone else that does not know the Lord. The world is truly against the Lord. And you're saying, wow, that's just, no, that's taking it too far. No, it's not. Because your Bible says so. So you can either play along with the world, or you can declare very proudly, I am not of this world. I'm not of this world. I think differently than this world does about most problems. And I realize without Christ, there's no hope. Without Christ, there is no hope for what ails this world. It's not going to be saving the whales and saving the rainforest. It is not going to be instituting socialism so everyone has the same paycheck. It is going to be people one by one coming to faith in Christ, being redeemed and transformed by the renewing of their mind. It's the only hope. It's the only hope because that translates into your living. It changes who you are, and then you think differently, and then you begin to act differently. And all of a sudden, you look at your brother and sister, and you go, that's my brother, that's my sister. You see them for who they are. It is past everything that we would put some kind of demarcation on in this world. You just go, this is my fellow brother and sister. You see, the enemy is trying to get us to think that the hope is here in this world. It's in some change of government or people. 
And while we should be engaged actively in the world that we're in to change it to that end, my hope, our hope is in heaven. It's where my hope lies. I have to see this world for what it is. I have to also see this world for what it does to us. Anybody had a problem with the world recently? Oh my goodness. Everywhere I turn. Look, here's the real truth of the matter. The world is going to try and make you, guess what? Worldly. The world wants to captivate you. The world wants to draw you in. The world wants to tell you, we got it all going on. And so the world tries to bait you with these three Ps. The world says, well, what your, your problem is really you don't have enough passion in your life. Your problem is you don't have enough possessions in your life. Your problem is you're in the wrong position in life. And so in these three areas, the world just beats you to a pulp. And pretty soon you go, well, if I just give in to the world, everything will be fine. And so all of a sudden you start doubting the love of God. And, and you take your activities and your attitude and you marry them together and they become worldliness. You start living like the world. And then all of a sudden, instead of being a light on a hill that can't be hidden, you're under the bushel basket. And all of a sudden the world's going, well, what's the difference? You do the same thing that I do. You party like I do. You switch spouses like I did. You lie, cheat, steal, and deceive. You live exactly like the world does. You see, the world is trying to draw you in that way. That's why Jesus said, you are my, command- you are my disciple indeed if you keep my commands. He wasn't saying you're saved by keeping them. He's saying a sure test of your faith is that you actually care about the things of God. You really want to do what God wants you to do because you know that your activities and your attitude have to go together. You see, when you begin to lose your desire for the Father's love, you will eventually lose your desire to do the Father's will. And here's why. Because as you're loving the world, you're not loving the Father. You're loving the world. And so what happens is now you start to shift your affections in every other area of your life towards the things of the world. Now what matters to you is passion, physical love, sexual relationship. Now what matters to you are your possessions. You become focused on material goods, money, those things that go along with what we would call an affluent lifestyle. And again, God is not against any of these things in principle. But if those things become your God, they're a problem. You start worshiping them. And finally what happens is you're looking for a position that is above everyone else. Can I tell you the first one that did that? You'll find a story in Isaiah 14. You know him as Apollyon, the destroyer, Satan, Lucifer. He said, I will exalt my throne above the heavens. 
And he has been trying to get you to exalt your throne above God's throne ever since. So that you love the world and you do not love God. You see, motivation matters. These devices that are prone to trap us are nothing, nothing, I repeat, nothing new. They're not new. What are they? They're very simple. He says the lust or the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You can simplify them, passion, possession, position. These three things, Genesis chapter 3 gives you the exact same list. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, there's the lust of the flesh. Her tummy's growling. She's wandering around. God said no. But oh, you got to feed that fueling fire within you. That looks better. You know, you've been eating this other stuff for a while. Eat that. Passion. Passion for something that's internal within you. Don't just isolate this to a sexual relationship because it's every single bodily appetite you have. Passion that way. You see, if I talk about sexual sin, everybody's going, ah, we got that. Of course we know that's wrong. What about that third double-double? Can I get an Amen. What about that second slice of pie with the four scoops ice cream? See, because y'all were given a hunger drive by the Lord. Keeps you alive, right? So it's not wrong to be hungry, but it is wrong to be driven by that hunger to doing things that destroy the very temple of the Lord, which is your body. You see, so we take passion, we kind of stick it in this little narrow window called sexual sin. Be careful. Because you can be impassioned about a lot of things. What about those possessions, the lust of the eyes, the things that we look at? Let me be blunt. Let me be honest. Nobody in here goes to a car dealership and said, can you give me the strippy that doesn't have any doors? <laughs> Amen? When you go in there, that's why they put the fully loaded models in the showroom, right? And if you have a car dealership, I'm not against car dealers little caveat here. We all drive them. We need them there. You know, we get around in those. But here's what happens. Pretty soon, the Honda's not good enough. The Honda turns into a Lexus, which turns into a BMW, which turns into a Maserati, which turns into a Lamborghini. Figuratively, of course, for most of you. (laughs) We're never satisfied, are we? You drive down the street, somebody else got a nicer ride than you. Dude, wheels for. You want what other people have. You go shopping for clothes. You buy them at Target, you tell people they came from Nordy's. Why is that? 
Because obviously, if you got stuff from Nordstrom's, you're doing better than everybody else. Nordstrom's rack is pretty awesome. The 95% off deals. Almost gets it down to normal. I'm trying to make everybody upset right now. You see, when we think about possessions, there's a lot of different ways you can think about things that you would possess, amen? Here's the problem. Guess who owns all of it? And it's not you. It's God. You are a steward of everything that you have. It actually belongs to him. And so when you're thinking of those things, when you're letting them drive you into situations you shouldn't be in, you actually already will inherit that eventually anyway because it belongs to your father. Amen? So, so the reason this is important is people now start to get something that God wants to just bless them with in eternity. And that's everything. But what do we do? Oh, we sell our family away for the payment on the Lambo. We buy a house that we not only can't afford, but we don't have enough money to put furniture in. You ever gone through housing tracks and looked at the yards of the people who bought them that couldn't afford them? There's no yard. They don't have money for grass seed. And again, I'm not getting on anybody's case here. I'm saying be careful in Jesus' name because possessions can drive you to make decisions that God doesn't want you to make. You start to love the world. If I just have this, if I just have that, if I'm in this neighborhood, I do that, I'm going to be fine. The only way you're going to be fine is by knowing Jesus. And the third thing, that position in life. I don't care who you are. I don't care whether you're the president of the United States. There is one king and his name is Jesus. There's no room above that. So the top position is always him. It's just a matter of whether we recognize it or not, isn't it? If he is who we say he is, he is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, the whole universe, then you can't get above him anyway. That was Satan's problem. Position is huge. And and I'm going to use an example right now, and it is not meant to diminish the office of the President of the United States, but I was listening to an interview with our President, and he literally said, I don't have anything to repent of. Those are his exact words. I make the case this way. Oh, yes, you do. That statement is where you can start. (laughs) Why do I say that? Because he thinks that his position entitles him to say things that are not true. And they don't. There isn't a person in here who doesn't have some things to repent of, myself included. It doesn't matter what position in this world you hold, you are still underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? And by the way, that's true with all of our presidents, the ones in the past and the ones we will have in the future. And it's not a party thing. It's there's no position above King Jesus. But if you try and find one, Oh, the enemy will tell you, well, if you just became president, you can do whatever you want. If you just became 
you know, part of the UN. You do whatever you want. You just make your own rules. You can do whatever you want. It's just simply not true. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? So the same devices that trapped Eve are still trapping people today. And I want to wrap this up. We need to hate the world because of who we are, what we are. I am a born one. I'm a Christian. I happen to be one of the fathers, the spiritual fathers. I'm, I'm one that's probably a little more mature than most. But oh, how I love the youthful zeal of our young people. Because as we get older, here's what us older Christians want to do. We want to sit in our spiritual armchairs and kind of watch the world go by and hope the rapture happens. But the young people are going, man, I've still got a little bit of life to live. Could you kind of like get out of the way? So all of these groups are necessary. We all start as little kids. Hopefully we'll get mature, but we'll also recognize that we need to have those youthful moments of zeal where the young people who are the ones that are risk takers, holy risk takers, will step into our churches and infuse life into us. Amen? We need all of this. We need gray-haired wisdom, or in my case, no-haired wisdom. I'm not sure if bald is better than gray. I don't know. But we want to see people come to faith in Christ and be young ones, and we want those ones that are already believers to get excited about it. You see, because of who we are, what I am as a believer, these things should matter to me. Got a newsflash for you. The world is passing away. No amount of you installing LED light bulbs is going to save it. And please, in Jesus' name, install LED light bulbs, okay? If you've got a Prius, God bless you. If your whole house is energy, you got solar, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. But you're not saving this world. You know why I know that? My Bible says so. This world is passing away. One day, the whole earth is going to get wrapped up, thrown away, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Amen? So, so when you love this one too much, you're trying to hang on to something that's going in the dumpster one day. Now, maybe that messes with some of your worldviews. But the fact of the matter is, there's a date stamp on this planet. It was put there by God. This world is passing away. And the desire for it and everything on it. Can I give you a little secret? When you get to heaven, you're not going to be going, oh man, I wish I'd go back to LA. (laughs) You're not going to wake up and have, oh man, where's the traffic? You're not going to be thinking, I just wish I could go down to the bank and do another ATM. You're not going to be, oh, I wish I could get on a plane with one of those seats that's made for somebody that's two foot three and and 12 pounds, because that's all airplane seats are, right? They're made for people that don't even exist in reality. No, this world is passing away. It's passing away. It's going to be gone. 
It is those of us who do the will of the Father that are going to survive all of this in eternity. Amen? And so he says, don't fall in love with this planet. That does not mean that you don't enjoy life. We're actually supposed to enjoy richly all things that he's given us. But we don't worship them. And we surely don't live for them. And so in this sense, we are to hate this world system. Because it does take advantage of people. It does hurt the very ones for whom Christ died. It is abusive to humankind. It is elusive to where people follow after it. And they think that if they come here, I can't tell you how many times I've been on the mission field and talking to people who live in countries all over the world and they have the same basic thought, well, if I could just get to America. God help them. Because this is the greatest place on this earth. The problem is the whole thing's going to perish one day. So you can come here and without Jesus, you're still going to have nothing. That's why we're not supposed to love it. The world is going. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and those with him, those five men, the movie, the book, The End of the Spear, recorded in there, Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. When I said yes to Jesus, I said no to this world. I said, you can have the world, just give me Jesus. You can have what this world has to offer, just give me Jesus. That's a great trade. I can't help but live here because that's where we live right now, amen? That's okay. But I'm not in love with this place. I'm in love with Jesus. Keeps my eyes focused on heaven in those dark moments which we all go through. I look at that verse, this world is passing away, and I go, thank you, Lord Jesus. Because it doesn't have that big of an attraction. If you got a vacation plan, go. If you're getting married, get married. Have kids. Serve Jesus. If you've got tons of money, praise the Lord. Use it for his kingdom. If you've got a gigantic mansion, hallelujah. Use it to bless people. If God's given you a position that is above other human positions, use your position for righteousness. But none of those things are going to be the end-all cure-all in your life. What's going to be the end-all cure-all is the moment you step out of time and into eternity. And you stand and see Jesus face to face. That will be the thing that's worth worshiping. It's our king. So our love for this world really would be a love for something that God hates. We want to love God, serve God, worship him, long for heaven in such a way that we just say, Lord, you you can take all that there is here. Just give me Jesus. And if you do, you're going to have a rich and a full life.
because he's promised to take care of the needs of those who love him. He's promised to bless those who bless him. He's promised to pour out a blessing we can't contain when we are obedient to him. He's given us a reason to say yes, even in this world. But the best one is, heaven's coming. Amen? Would you stand and we'll close in prayer. And as I did for service, I want to just give you an opportunity. You know, maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Jeff, I didn't really even realize I was serving the world when I walked through the doors today, but I realize now that I am. And I realize I've never actually asked Jesus into my life to be one of those born ones. And so I'm going to ask you right now if that's you. If you'd bow your heads with me, if you would, please. And please pray. Pray for the Spirit to move on the hearts of those who are here today that may not know you. If you're here today and you're tired of being driven by your passion, you're tired of the search for possessions, you are worn out from trying to get a new position, and you want to surrender to Jesus right now, he will take those things and give you a love for God that will be everything you will ever need. And if that's you, I want you to just simply raise your hand right where you're at. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see those hands in the center. I see this one in the center to my left. I see that one in the back. I see this hand over here to my left as well. I see this hand over to the far left. Praise the Lord. Spirit, fall upon this place right now. Keep praying. People are responding to the gospel, the good news. Just lift your hand up. If you haven't done it yet, do it now. Get rid of this world. I see that hand. I see that hand here and these other hands in the middle. Anyone else? We're just going to pray together, and then I'm going to encourage you to go over to our prayer room after service. I see that hand. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I see these hands way over here to my left. Praise God. Anyone else? Just lift your hand up. I'm going to pray with you. I see that hand in the front. Another hand in the front. For those that have raised your hands, and maybe you're here and you wanted to, you just couldn't muster the energy to raise your hand. Maybe you were afraid. God knows that fear, and he'll take it. For those who raise your hands, if you put your hands down, but I'm going to ask you now to pray with me, and I'm going to ask you to pray out loud. Just simply follow me. These words have to come from you, and you're praying them to God, to the one who loves you. Just repeat these things after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I've been trying to serve this world and myself. And I'm surrendering right now to your grace. I'm asking you to forgive my sin and to cleanse me of it. To write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I turn from my sin. I repent. I invite you to come into my life and be my Lord. I'm offering to serve you the rest of my days. Keep me from my former passions, the desire for possessions, and those positions that I've been seeking after. Create in me a new heart, God.
Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying for me, Jesus. Raising from the dead so that I might have eternal life. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen.